Let's turn in our Bibles this afternoon to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We'll read up to about verse 14. Verse 14, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. As labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do. But let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or sleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord, who admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. Be patient with all men. Paul, as we know, founded the church at Thessalonica, and he did so amidst fierce persecution. And the amazing thing was that though the Thessalonian Christians had come to faith in Christ for just about several months, they were growing by leaps and bounds. Paul had spent roughly three weeks, three Sabbaths with them. And by the time he was through, a church was formed. And the thing about the Thessalonian church that is evident as we read the Thessalonian epistles is that they were a group of Christians who were well taught. They were well taught in the great truths of the faith. One only has to peruse, for example, 1 Thessalonians, and you see Paul is talking about the doctrine of election. He's talking about the judgment. He's talking about the second coming of Christ, and so on and so forth. And not the least of the many truths in which they were schooled was that of the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is significant is that every chapter of First Thessalonians calls attention to the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this actually continues right through to Second Thessalonians. In each chapter, Paul cites the principle, the practical implications of Christ's return For believers, for example, chapter 1 and verse 10, the return of Christ, he teaches, rescues believers from the coming wrath of God. Believers are going to be rescued once and for all. Chapter 2, verse 19, the return of Christ will be a time of rejoicing. It will be a time for rewards, rewards for believers who have faithfully served the Lord. Chapter 3 and verse 13, the return of Christ, he presents as a stimulus, a motivation for godly living. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 8, the return of Christ affords comfort for the bereaved. And 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, 
The return of Christ brings to completion the believer's sanctification. Now, a close reading of the epistles, that is of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, suggests that these Christians, yes, they were well-schooled in the truths of the Word of God, particularly that of the Second Coming, and they had such a keen interest in the Second Coming. They were so fascinated with the prospect of Christ's return It seemed they had gone to the place where some of them stopped working. Some of them began moving about, as Paul puts it, being busybodies, attending, failing to attend to their day-to-day responsibilities. We see intimations of that in 1 Thessalonians 3.11, 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 11, where Paul calls on them to be responsible, to work, to mind their own business. And as part of their preoccupation with the second coming of Christ, it also appears that they had concerns about the implications of the coming of Christ for their departed loved ones. In fact, First Thessalonians chapter 4, one would get the impression that some of them felt that, well, if Christ is going to come back, well, what happened to our deceased loved ones? And that's why Paul wrote First Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning those who are asleep, that even as others who have no hope, and so on and so forth. In every age, there are all kinds of concerns and questions and speculations surrounding the second coming of Christ In fact, when our Lord Jesus was on earth, his disciples wanted for Jesus to tell them when he would be returning and what, they said, would be the sign of your coming. The essence of his teaching in Matthew 24 was that no one knows the day, the specific time of his return, and that they therefore needed to watch and be ready. So the question I want to ask this afternoon is, how are we to be prepared? How can we be ready for the second coming of our Lord Jesus. How can we as Christians be prepared for the return of the Lord Jesus? And let me give you some suggestions as they present themselves from our text. First of all, we prepare for the Lord's coming by being mindful of the circumstances surrounding his coming. We prepare even as we become mindful of the circumstances surrounding his coming, verses 1 to 3. And first of all, the circumstances as regards the time of his coming. Notice verse 1, now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Paul clearly teaches there that knowledge of the time and season of Christ's coming is off limit for you and me, which means we shouldn't try to figure out the specifics as regards the time frame or the date of Christ's coming. Many people spend their time, they're drawing up charts, they're calculating, making all kinds of mathematical calculation, drawing charts, estimating, saying Christ is going to come this or that day. That to do that, the word of God suggests, is idle. Listen to our Lord Jesus in Matthew 25, verse 13. He says, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Mark chapter 13, verse 32, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So we want to bear in mind that as we look forward to the coming of Christ, as we consider the circumstances of his coming, the word of God teaches, first of all, 
that we do not know the specifics as regards time and season. Second, regarding the circumstances of his coming, we need to be mindful of the manner in which he will return. The manner in which he will return. Verse 2, he says there, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Where there are all kinds of speculations, all kinds of debate concerning this coming of our Lord Jesus, there stands one incontrovertible fact, and that is that Christ's coming will be, the word of God puts it, like a thief in the night. Those who have been the victims of thievery, especially at night, know precisely what it is like. They didn't get a notification by way of telephone call. They didn't get some kind of note under their mats at the front door. They did not get anything in their mailbox. Well, I'm coming at such and such a time, and I'm going to be taking this. No, the thief comes when we least expect him, and I might add her. And what the Word of God is saying here is that Christ's coming will be sudden. That's the idea of a thief in the night. A thief in the night comes unexpectedly. He comes suddenly. He comes without notice. And notice what Paul says, for you yourselves are fully aware of this. It suggests that he had thoroughly schooled these Christians concerning the Lord's coming, particularly as regards its suddenness. And beloved, you and I are not left in the dark. You and I are not left without warning concerning the suddenness of Christ's return, because our Lord Jesus made this point very clear to his disciples in Matthew 24, 42 to 44. Here's what he says. He says, therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day our Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what hour the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect. So there you have the idea of the thief and the suddenness with which a thief comes, and hence the suddenness of our Lord's return. He further warned in Mark chapter 13, verses 33 to 37, he says this, Be on guard, keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It will be like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning. Here's what he says, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Stay awake. Now, what does that mean, to stay awake, in view of the Lord's coming? Later down in verse 6, Paul will say to the Thessalonian Christians, So let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. That we should be watchful, that we should keep awake, does not mean that we are to do like what the disciples did in Acts chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. We must not be, does not mean we are to be idly gazing in the sky. It doesn't mean we are to be always stationed looking at the skies. Well, that should be the posture of our hearts, but certainly not literally or keep gazing at the sky. It doesn't mean we see carrying out the 
daily duties, the daily responsibilities of life, what it does mean is this. It means we, again, it doesn't mean we're going to be calculating and drawing up charts and speculating as to dates, right? Many do that. What it means is that we should have an attitude of heart and mind. We should operate on the assumption that Jesus could come back even at this very moment. Our Lord Jesus could come back even before this service is over. And that is why we speak of what? The imminence of his return. Imminence meaning, of course, it can happen at any moment. We are not waiting for certain signs to be fulfilled before Christ returns. The Bible makes it very clear that Christ will come back suddenly. He will come like a thief in the night. And therefore, always is a responsibility to be alert. Now, thirdly, regarding the circumstances of the coming of Christ, as we prepare for the coming of Christ, if we are to be prepared for the coming of Christ, we need to be mindful of world conditions preceding his coming. It's right there in the text. And what will the world conditions be like according to the text? It will be a time when the world will be completely and complacently ensconced in a sense of false peace and security. It will be a time, Christ's coming will be a time when the world will be complacently ensconced in a sense of false peace and security. Look at verse 3a. Here's what he says. For while they are saying peace and safety, then what? Sudden destructions will come. Sometimes there's a tendency for us to think that the coming of Christ is going to be necessarily preceded, at least in our setting, by cataclysmic events and social upheavals and the world becoming, you know, as it were, haywire and there are riots going all over the place and bloodshed and so on and so forth. Yes, the Bible talks about these things, but notice what the Word of God suggests here, that Christ could come back at a time of relative peace and calm. And here, Paul was echoing the teaching of our Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 17, 26 through 30, where Jesus declared, here's what Jesus said, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage. They were having a good time. It was a time of peace. It was a time of prosperity. And yet, it was just then that the flood came and destroyed them. He continues, Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. And of course, Sodom and Gomorrah was on fire. In Luke 21, 34, 35, our Lord Jesus warned, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts, and this takes us now to what Paul means when he says, let us be awake and now let us be sober. What does it mean to be sober as we await the coming of our Lord Jesus? Yes, on the one hand, we must be watchful. On the other hand, we must be sober. What does that mean to be sober? Jesus explained in Luke 21, 34, 35, he warned, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that they come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. To be sober means what? It means to be level-headed. 
It means that we are not carried from one extreme to the other. Now, persons are carried to one extreme, and that extreme, for some, is to be weighted down with the sorrows and anxieties and pressures of life. Jesus warns about that, and the coming of Christ then overtakes them. On the other hand, there are those who will be having a good time, living it up, partying, and the coming of Christ finds them unprepared. To be level-headed means this. We do not go to extremes in terms of anxiety on the one hand and reacting responsibly to life on the other hand. Being self-controlled, that's the idea. And Jesus warns here that such things as overeating, drunkenness, cares of this life can cause one to be taken by surprise at the Lord's coming. He says... Be watchful, be careful, lest that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. In the fourth place, regarding the circumstance of Christ's coming, as we prepare, we are prepared, we become prepared, as we are mindful of the fate that will befall the unsaved. Part of what it means to be mindful of the Lord's coming is... To be mindful of the fate that will befall the unsaved. Here's what he says in the B part of verse 3 concerning his coming. He suggests it will be a time when sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Again, this is very much similar to what our Lord Jesus said in Luke chapter 17 verse 27. In the days of Noah, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. In the days of Lot, people were going about their mundane activities. But on the day, Luke 17, 29, when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all, so will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Why do we need to know about the fate of the wicked as we prepare for his coming so that we can warn them to flee from the wrath which is to come? Word of God teaches that those... Or in darkness, that is, those who are unsaved will be startled, they will be horrified at the appearance of Christ in judgment when he comes a second time. They'll be met with sudden destruction that's mentioned in verse 3. Graphic terms, Paul describes what this horrific judgment will be like in 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9. This judgment that will attend the coming of our Lord Jesus, he says here in 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. How awful and terrifying a judgment theirs will be. If we are going to be prepared, beloved, if we are to be truly prepared for the Lord's coming, we need to understand something of the circumstances of his coming. As regards the time, we need to understand that we don't know the time. As to the manner, we know that he's come like a thief in the night. And we come secondly to consider as we prepare for the second coming of Christ, we do so not only by being mindful of the circumstances surrounding his coming, but by being mindful of our identity as believers. 
To be prepared for the Lord's coming, we must be reminded and we must have a conviction concerning who we are as Christians. Notice first of all, and these verses are taken from verses 4 through 7, in terms of our identity as believers, as believers, Paul teaches first of all, believers in Christ are not in darkness. We are not a people in darkness. In what sense are we not in darkness? Well, to begin with, we are not in darkness. We are not a people of spiritual ignorance because God's word informs us of the truth of our Lord's coming. We are not in darkness from the standpoint that we have been enlightened by the word of God concerning the manner in which Christ will return. We're not in darkness as regards reveling in sin, being careless, being ungodly, taken up with the ungodliness of the world, such that the thought of the Lord's coming is far-fetched. In short, believers are not in darkness. Why? Because they have embraced, they have embraced the light that is in Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 14. And this means that we are children, 1 Thessalonians 5, 4 and 5, not being children of darkness, we are children of the light and of the day, which obliges us then to live a life of alertness and sobriety, verses 6 through 8. And believers need to be alert. We need to be reminded of who we are. We are not a people of darkness like the rest of the world. We have been called out of darkness into God's marvelous light. We are therefore to live as children of light. Thirdly, we prepare for the coming of Christ by dressing appropriately. By dressing appropriately. How do we dress appropriately as we prepare for coming? We'll look at verse 8, the C part of verse 8. We dress appropriately by donning the breastplate of faith and love. We dress appropriately by putting on what Paul describes as the breastplate of faith and love. You know, of course, in ancient times, the breastplate protected a soldier. It was designed to shield the delicate inner organs, most important of which, of course, was what? The heart. And in a similar vein, spiritually speaking, faith and love... Paul is saying function as a breastplate to protect the Christian's heart. Saving as well as sanctifying faith in Christ protects our hearts from the malady and poison of sin. Saving us from the wrath of God, faith puts us on a path of devoting our lives to pleasing God and living for him. And love protects our hearts, as one man puts it, when we understand the love of Christ for us so that we'll be moved to serve him with fervency and singleness of heart. Second, in preparing for the coming of Christ, we dress appropriately by having, verse 8d, the D part of verse 8, for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Just as a helmet protects the head, a spiritual helmet protects one's mind, one's thoughts, affording mental clarity and focus. If we are to live in these days of darkness, of uncertainty, as we prepare for the Lord's coming, we need to be a people who are sober-minded, who are level-headed, who have our minds, our thoughts protected by the helmet, the hope of salvation. The hope of salvation, Paul says, must form that helmet. In the Bible, hope speaks of what? Confident, assured expectation. 
And the truth is, where there's no confident expectation of salvation, where one is always in doubt as to whether one is really saved, one will never be really assured as to whether one is saved, and hence one will never be in a position to be truly prepared for the coming of Christ. Why? Because if we doubt our salvation, if we don't know that we are saved, we'll be fearful of the Lord's coming. What will he do with us? Lacking the hope of salvation, one will not want to face him, not being sure as to whether they'll be welcomed and received by him. And it's never good not to have the hope, the assurance of our salvation. Now, let me say this, that just because a person doubts his or her salvation doesn't mean that he or she is not saved. In fact, assurance is not really a condition of salvation. But what we need to understand is that assurance has great benefits. I think it was Thomas Brooks who, I'm trying to remember the statement he made, but one of those Puritan writers referred to it as a white stone, of course drawing from the book of Revelation, and how that it is a precious and prized possession to have the assurance of one's salvation. When we are assured of our salvation, we know that Christ has truly saved us, then it gives us what? Confidence to meet him at his coming. As Apostle John says, we'll not shrink back and be ashamed at his coming. And so as we await the coming of our Lord, there's a real need for us as Christians to be firm and settled in our hope, in our assurance of salvation. Hope that issues from genuine saving faith in Christ is vital and necessary for a victorious Christian life. And the hope of salvation in Christ is what will keep us from being sidetracked, from being derailed by sin and worldliness as we await the coming of our Lord Jesus. Because the more we are assured, truly assured, savingly assured, what that will do, it will motivate us to love Christ and to want to serve him and to be prepared for him when he returns. I think I'm going to stop at that this afternoon, but we can come back to this another time to look at what that means, the coming of Christ means for us in terms of our relating to one another. How do we relate to one another as Christians in view of the fact that Christ will return? Paul does say a great deal about that, how we are to relate to one another and how we are to relate to ourselves inwardly. But I trust as we ponder these truths, we'll be reminded afresh of the need to stay awake, to stay alert, recognizing that the coming of Christ might even be sooner than we think.